Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, the podcast devoted to pop culture of, well, basically every single year from 1980 on up. We are now at 1986. If you've been listening, we've been doing the 1986 movies. This is the third or fourth part, I don't know. Uh, Jacob, because you know we did some of this years ago and I decided to re-edit. Like, we did a Little Shop of Horrors and Three Amigos and uh, Running Scared and stuff like that. Um, yes. Armed and Dangerous and stuff like that. So this is the third list that we've done, uh, technically. And uh, I lost my list. So Jacob's going to have to lead this one because I am a clumsy, disorganized doofus. <laughs> so professional. Uh, well... Sometimes I'll have to take the reins. Move over. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, we want to start off with uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. This is the first one I watched. Yeah. Uh, I actually did whole, uh, wholeheartedly enjoy it. Uh, there were some like you know, uh, laugh out loud moments. Definitely a little bit more um, kind of sad, dramatic parts, especially when you first meet Nick Nolte. But as soon as you, like, meet Richard Dreyfuss and, the fam- and his family, oh, gosh, like, his son's little video editing, filming all the shenanigans that would go on in the house. And, you know, you can tell he and Bette Midler don't have, like, the best marriage. There's some distance. And then, of course, there's the housemaid and their daughter who's always visiting from uh, school. Yeah. And, however, uh, Richard Dreyfuss definitely is, like, a successful man. Um, a hanger man. <laughs> <laughs> right I try materially materially yeah he's a successful man he's got a lot of money he, he and his family are well taken care of of course like at night he sleeps around with the housemaid played by uh, Elizabeth Pena I want to yes that that's correct yeah I, oh I was right awesome <laughs> so yeah uh, oh gosh may she rest uh, but yeah as soon as like Nick Nolte like, comes into his life like you know him being a homeless man, his dog leaves him. That was pretty much his only thing. He's looking around for him. But then he, like, sneaks into Richard Dreyfuss's, um backyard pool, which is, like, highly, uh, seems a little highly unreal because, you know, you're rich and you let something this simple happen. Yeah, right. You had really no uh, fence, you can't no security. It. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, of course, Richard Dreyfuss, uh, after, you know, he saves Nick Nolte from drowning, he uh, takes sympathy on the guy, you know, after telling a story that, you know, he was once, like, into acting and then just lost his way, uh, tries to take care of him and help build him back up, you know, he shows that he does have a heart, but he just doesn't take that time to listen. Right. It's a oh, lot well, of character-based um, comedy. It's not plot-heavy, it's all about the development of these characters around Nick Nolte's character. Exactly. It's such a strange um, role for him because, I don't know, it's just, it's so strange that he's the guy giving out all the wisdom in weird ways. Like, he's changing all of them when their goal was to change him, like clean him up, get him a job. But his he's stuck in who he is. The problem is, uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler, is not everything coming out of his mouth is the truth. He may be conning, and, and it's so weird how they forgive him for this. Yeah, he was kind of manipulating them, uh somewhat but he does they both in turn help each other out heck even at the end when he like he decides to take the dog with him you know after all the confessions yeah and everything they still like forgive him because they realize at the end of it all yeah he fixed them big time you know the son comes out he finds out who he is 
the daughter is happy. Uh, the wife is definitely happy, especially after the massage scene. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> she she killed me in that sequence. <laughs> yeah, this is the year that uh, the Touchstone really hit the green the gas pedal for you know green lighting these really good uh, movies that didn't make a whole lot of money, but they made a lot of impact. And this made Bette Midler a star. And then she was signed a long-term contract with them, I think, for like five more years. It ended with For the Boys. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss was in a very long slump for like five or six years. And this saved his career. And he came back the next with uh, uh, Tin Men and a Stakeout. And uh, it just I think they're all with the same studio. And, and just pretty much like Nick Nolte was already established. And this was a decent-sized hit, but since it had kind of sitcom possibilities, I showed you a clip of that. They turned it to a short-lived show on Fox in its very first year. Yes. It wasn't good. I don't recall it being good. Yeah, no, it was. it's kind of forgettable to me. Yeah. Um, but the other one I wanted to say real quickly, because I couldn't get a copy to you, was the other movie that Touchstone put out with Bette Midler was Ruthless People, and that one was really demented fun and it basically launched Bill Pullman's career and it has Judge Reinhold and Danny DeVito and it's from the directors of Top Secret and oh. Airplane um, it's pretty good damn it yeah I do I need to watch that now the oh. plot the plot is uh, Bette, Bette Miller's a miserable pain in the ass Danny DeVito's a scumbag thief kind of guy uh, runs you know all these scams to his corporation he hates his wife and uh, Judge Reinhold and Helen <laughs> Slater are trying to get revenge so they kidnap her and demand money because Danny DeVito stole a very lucrative idea from Helen Slater. Turns out, guess what? He doesn't give a shit if his wife comes back, so the whole blackmailing thing doesn't work, and now they got to cover their tracks. <laughs> and they get into all sorts of shenanigans. Yep, okay. and yeah. So um, those are two big ones from that year. What is the next film on our list? Uh, the next one, uh, what I ended up watching... Uh, first, I wanted to get this out of the way. I've already seen it before, and I really understood it. It was a great film by Oliver Stone, one of his one of his best. That uh, yeah, certain, to me, uh, it's his platoon. best. Yeah, this is absolutely his best, and it's his, not his first film because I believe he did Salvador before this. But um, this is his breakout, and same thing for Charlie Sheen. And uh, I really feel like William Dafoe and Tom Berenger were kind of on the radar, but they didn't break out either. This really made their careers. And this is the best Vietnam movie I think has ever been made. Yes, I love Uncommon Valor, but that's not based on a true story. It doesn't have that darkness. It's more of the action fantasy. Um, but Platoon, it loaded to the gills with the next generation of actors. And it's just shocking to see some of these people like Johnny Depp, so young with glasses and stuff like that. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's the lead singer of that band, Living Color. You know, they sing Cult of Personality. Uh, but it's just loaded to the gills yeah. with the, these young, really good actors, and it does not pull any fucking punches. This thing is brutal. No. It's honest. There's some stuff in that's going to make you squirm. And how war can just destroy or make you. You know, I mean, some of these people are martyrs, and some of them are true villains. And I think it's just an unbelievably powerful. This movie haunted me for years after I saw it. Oh yeah, no. Especially Tom Berenger. Again, a lot of these people. Uh, again, that it can be a true statement. A lot of people who do sign up just, you know, want to go out there and kill him. Tom Berenger was one of those people. Yeah, his character was one of them. 
the uh, I the, mean shit. Uh, yeah, people have nowhere else to go, and I've seen it myself. There was a guy who came into where I worked, and he was talking to another veteran. One was from a was a Vietnam vet. One was a Desert Storm vet, or no, what's the one from nine eleven? Op- Operation Iraqi Freedom, or something like that. I can't remember. Um, yeah. But he was like, yeah, I served over there. I just wanted to kill. And the other guy looks at him just horrified because people who went into Vietnam, most of them did not want to go. They were forced to go. Yeah, because the draft was still in uh, yeah. was still in place. That's why a lot of people would flee and try and go to Mexico or to Canada or somewhere just to avoid it. Yeah, this is a $6 million film from a small company named Hemdale. The only reason this got made is because they had enough money from Terminator. So thank you, James Cameron. <laughs> um <laughs> There uh, uh, wasn't this. Go ahead. Uh, okay, I thought this uh, was this uh, Oliver Stone's point of view because didn't he serve in Vietnam? Yeah, it's supposed to be a pseudo biography. Charlie Sheen is representing him, but he's changed some details. But uh, and it, of course, this was a massive hit and also started a trend. So the next year, we get like Hamburger Hill and. Um, uh, full Metal Jacket and stuff like that and it'll go on for the next few years when we get Vietnam movies but this is the cream of the crop oh absolutely yeah uh, just that and of course there was an homage uh, to that sequence uh, when, when Willem Dafoe's like running away and he's getting shot at by the Viet Cong uh, he's straight uh, you can see Ben Stiller try and like you know oh right in a goofy way mind you in uh, Tropic Thunder where he's just like you know getting shot out all over the place and raising his hands up <laughs> didn't you believe that's yeah, the yeah, cover that like that's the... the cover of the fucking video game for Nintendo there's a video game about this this is so strange why there's a what yes Nintendo put so out a game of this <laughs> I know it's wrong I think we might have had it <gasps> oh, so... oh my gosh <laughs> I know the 80s were weird we would get like cartoons of like Rambo and Robocop and stuff like that and video games of these movies that should not have had video games <laughs> I'm actually shocked it wasn't no, like the color purple video game for Sega Genesis you know? Jesus Empire of the Sun <laughs> for the CDI <laughs> oh god that would have been fucking terrible yeah probably <laughs> alright what is our next film okay. well it's definitely a lot more livelier uh, it, it's actually a Disney uh animated movie i've seen so many trailers in it rewatching it um on some of the old movies i had like rescuers uh the great mouse detective i finally get around to watching it and again this is such a beautifully made film yeah and i saw this in theaters mom, mom took us to see this uh at the theater uh christmas of 86 and i remember having so much fun i didn't realize it was so fucking short oh my god it's like 70 minutes long yeah I know exactly, but man, it just bases itself so well. Uh, Vincent Price, oh gosh, you can't go wrong with it. Yeah, no, he'll always give it a hundred percent. It's a it's a little on the nose on on being a Sherlock Holmes movie. It is. It doesn't say it, but it is. He's Doctor Moriarty, and you know. And I got to tell you this: forever and ever, until just like a week ago, when I watched this, I was so sure that Roddy McDowell was the main character. Yeah, you know, you would think it was him. I don't know uh, why I thought it he was. It does sound just, awfully similar to him. Yeah, I had it locked in my brain forever and ever, and then I watched this, and I go, where's Roddy McDowell's name? And then the voice came up, like, that's not Roddy McDowell. It's kind of like it. I don't know. I don't know where I got that from. I know, but just, uh, yeah, but as you were right, it is like a Sherlock Holmes tale. Like, it's definitely a nod to that, not much a certain, because he said people are set the standard for, like, um, 19th century uh, detective yeah. uh, stories. 
So we do get that little nod. Of course, it being a Disney film, that had like a little cute touch to it. The Bat character, oh my god, he made me laugh. I kept thinking, when I was watching him, I kept thinking, I kept, who's the character in Anastasia? Oh, that little white bat. Oh, gosh. He even got us a spin-off. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But he always talked like this, boss. How's it going? <laughs> hey, G there, boss. <laughs> I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, no. But, but this um, one, of course, has... I kept thinking oh. of that character while I was watching this. I go, and I feel like Don Bluth saw this, and it was inspired. This is when Disney was lost. This is one of the very, very few hits during this period, because... Um, starting around Fox and the Hound, Black Hole, that's when they started testing the waters to see if they could do more mature content. And everything was very expensive, and hardly any of it was successful. I mean, Tron was successful only after hitting video. It, it broke even in theaters. And, you know, that's why they started doing the Disney Channel and the original Disney TV movies for kids, because they could do those for a million or two and sell it really well and then touchstone pictures took off a couple years prior with splash but they really had no disney hits this is one of the very few bright spots a couple years from now we're going to get uh oliver and company which i have never seen which i can't wait and then 89 saves them so the 80s is like their weakest weirdest decade oh wow i hadn't realized that yeah bartok hey kazaria thank you bartok the magnificent (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love doing that oh, voice. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, but no, uh, to go <laughs> not going further, but this is what Disney was doing. They had Condor Man, huge flop. Unidentified Flying Oddball, huge flop. Uh, Tron was too expensive. Uh, the Black Cauldron was very expensive. Dragon Slayer. Um, there's a bunch of in there. The Return to Oz was very, very expensive. and was a huge flop. They just had nonstop duds, and it was just killing them. They almost went out of business. Oh, gosh, knowing that, damn. I mean, all those big flops coming yeah. from Disney, no less. Wait, there's Watcher in the Woods, again, I remember that uh, one, and uh, Something <clears throat> Wicked This Way Comes. None of these were big hits, and they're just pouring money into a burner. <laughs> it's, it's so weird But they're all on Disney Plus now, so you yeah. can watch them for free. I was going to say, 40 years <laughs> later, Disney has completely turned around. They're like Apple. Remember when Apple was on the ropes? They were ready to go down, and it's, it's, it saved them. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. But seriously, overall, uh, again, just it is a classic, and it uh, yeah. it deserves a plenty it, of love. It moves that much like certain. lightning. You're not. There's no doll spots because Disney didn't have the money to add anything that didn't absolutely need to be there. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, uh, are we moving on to the next? Yes, sums. Okay. Yeah. This was a good one. I've never seen this before. I didn't even know of it until you mentioned it to me. And uh, I absolutely love Rob Williams, and I'm a Kurt Russell fan. He's pretty, again, he's just great in everything he does. Uh, Best of Times. Oh, this is the first time you've heard of this. Not not seen it, heard of it. Yes. It's so funny because uh, this movie's very important to me because um, we used to visit my Aunt Jean and Uncle Jack, um, and they only owned one movie. And this was it. Best of Times is literally the only movie they owned. And we watched it a couple times. Most of the part, though, we just play out in their farm and stuff like that or go rides on this plane. And uh, that's always locked in my memory. And this is from a company called King's Road Entertainment. Most of their catalog, Mm. like the original prints of their stuff, is all lost. We're talking, the big ones from them were All of Me and uh, The Big Easy. They only produced about 12 movies. I think they did Kickboxer. 
Kickboxer, as far as I know, is the only one that's available in widescreen DVD. None of this has been remastered. It's all water, you know, like this. You know that that look of old VHS where everything's watered down visually, and it's cropped, of course. Oh wow, yeah. Well, I mean, it is a shame that stuff like that, you know, uh, lost print. But I'm hoping if I ever see this on Blu-ray, I'm buying it. Yeah, if it I'm ever someone finds it, right Lionsgate now. owns the rights to the whole catalog, and they just gotta find the original prints. But uh, besides that fact. Uh, this is one of the streak of Kurt Russell duds. This didn't make any money. This made about $3.5 million, got dumped in January. No one gave a shit. And I absolutely love it. I think Kurt Russell and Robin Williams are so good together. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Kurt Russell is so giving to Robin. Robin is going crazy in some of these scenes. Not like what you classically know Robin Williams crazy, where he's just kind of nervous and he talks too much. He's always up to antics. And Kurt Russell just lets him do it. He He's listening to him, and they just bounce off each other so well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the chemistry there was great. Uh, of course, Robin Williams, you know, he's very regretful after blowing the big game in his small town. And he's just... He even, he even goes as far as uh, just sitting in a bed and having a conversation with uh, a sex worker. That's it. That's all he does. He doesn't use it for anything else just to sit down and unload his problems. So it's gotten to the point where she's even sick of it, even though she's getting paid. Yeah. It's, it's, he's obsessed with it. He thinks this single moment in his life has dragged not only himself down, but the entire town down. By the way, I looked up this town. I can't remember the name of it all of a sudden. But I looked it up. Um, it, it, that is literally the town. It is a shithole in the butt of uh, California. It's just, it's so gunk. <laughs> Dang, I didn't know it existed. Yeah. But yeah, uh, great supporting cast from Penelope Ann Miller and. Oh my gosh. Penelope Ann Miller? No. Not Penelope Ann Miller. Why am I getting. So I was say, she was about 16 at the time, uh, but I know you're talking about she's the one from Kindergarten Cop. Why can't I think of her name? But, um, okay, I'm going to cheat. Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Okay, so uh, this <laughs> is uh, Ron Shelton's first script, I believe. He would go on to do a bunch of sports movies. Of course, everybody knows his big one is Bull Durham uh, and White Men Can't Jump. Um, and then uh. kind of just faded away, but he, he did another movie with Kurt Russell years later called Dark Blue which is a cop movie, directed by Robert Roger Spotswood, which is so weird because this guy's mostly known for doing action movies like The Getaway and Dante's Peak and stuff like that, um, but also did, I believe he did uh, Turner and Hooch. So it's kind of weird. He does mostly action-oriented Ooh. stuff. Oh, he wrote 48 Hours. Wow, he directed, directed The Six Day Shoot to Kill. Um, what else here? Terror Train, The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper, Under Fire... Air America, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Okay, that's another comedy. Tomorrow Never Dies. So he's did a bunch of movies. Oh, wow. So it's kind of strange, this little personal comedy. Oh, Pamela Reed. You're thinking Pamela Reed from Kindergarten Cop. That's her name, yes. I don't know why I was thinking. Well, it's both, both her names started with a P, but yeah, yeah, Pamela Reed. Do Again, you feel like... Sweet, but she was like too ambitious and needed to leave yeah. uh, the town. Do you feel like uh, M. Emmett Walsh is in every single 80s movie? He's always the gruff old white man. He's got like one strap of hair on the front and he's like whipping it around. <laughs> like every 80s movie seems to have him. But God, like... Yeah, I know. I kind of realized that he was Wildcats. Gosh, he was in a lot of the movies this year. He's also in Wildcats? 
Are you telling me that both football movies from the couple that they're not married, but they're essentially married, <laughs> same year, both have him at Walsh? That's crazy. I lost Jacob, everybody. Awkward. It wasn't a bunch of 80s movies from uh, from what we've discussed. Yeah, it's, it's amazing just looking at his catalog. It just He was everywhere in the 80s. But um, I think this is a really heartfelt, really well-made movie. And don't let it be marred by Kirk Cameron's before he became super religious douchebag. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. He played Kurt Russell and uh, Pamela Reed's kid. Is this amazing how <laughs> oh, many man. flops yeah. Kurt Russell had and yet he's still so cherished because he had Escape from New York in 81, but then The Thing bombed. Um, I feel like everything after that, like this bombed and, and Big Trouble Little China tanked. He, he only had a couple movies that were okay, like Swing Shift. That kept him afloat, Silkwood. But yet, you look back now, and all those movies that flopped to his are classics. Oh, absolutely, yes. I love the. Oh, I've watched Big Trouble and Little Trucks since I was a kid. The thing creeped out of me. But man, uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell just have great chemistry. Yeah, we're not going to get to it for another mm. decade, but I mean, not in the show, but I mean, in, in real life, I mean, in the show. Whatever. I'm going to stop talking now. Uh, Escape from LA. I when I went to the theater and saw this, I go, "This special effects look like shit. What the fuck? How did this cost fifty million dollars?" I didn't know until a week ago that the company that was producing Escape from L.A. ran out of money at the end of production, so they couldn't finish the special effects. The budget got cut from fifty million oh. to thirty-five at the last minute. So that's oh awesome. crap! Yeah, that's why it looks rough, but. Uh, thankfully, Best of Times is not one of those movies that needed a big budget, and it's all about the characters, and it works so well. That football game is... Row- I, I don't like real football. I fucking hate real football. I love football and movies, as long as it's kind of lighthearted. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's what I wanted to mention, that it had a lot of heart. And Robin Williams was Kurt Russell's biggest motivator, especially like when he finds out... There was a scene where... Uh, <laughs> Someone dressed as like a a, a tiger, yeah. like the rivals. His his shenanigans yeah, like, are ridiculous. <laughs> absolutely, and then it, it pisses off Kurt Russell to the point uh, where he becomes uh, he start, he becomes a prick and decides to take charge. Right, big time. Well, it's not just and him though; course, he cons the whole town into doing this. Exactly, because he wants to give that town some life again, and people are even pointing that out. Like he's doing great. Oh man! Yeah, this but one, it, like there, I said, there was a time where it both cost them their love lives. Oh yeah, true. Uh, it is available on YouTube and uh, Tubi, and it's uh, it's the only way you can really find it right now. You can't get it. I don't think you can even get it on disc anymore. It's kind of lost. Mm, okay. All right. What's our and, next film? Yeah. Okay, this one I want to mention was um, oh, gosh, Streets of Gold. This one I, I was, was a last minute ad. This is not what I had planned. I couldn't find um, like Ruthless People, and I had to find a sixth movie. And I just stumbled across this. I go, I'll give it a watch. And at first, I was a little bored, but I gave it some time, and I thought it was really good. Yeah, no, same here. I wholeheartedly enjoy it. It was a good boxing movie about you know, not just not like an actual boxer like trying to you know become a champ again. You know, not like Rocky. No, this is about a guy who was once a great fighter, but due to, like, the BSE uh, doing to in Russia, he had to step down and no longer... It was kind of forced into retirement. But as he's, like, you know, adjusting to his new life in America, you know, he comes across, you know, Wesley Snipes and Adrian Pazdar. 
who like have talent but they need direction and that's what he does throughout this movie he helps them develop not only as better fighters but as better people they're all yeah because adrian pazdar's character is a shithead he says an awful word that i never want to mention he's a racist yes he says something so awful in it yeah and then he comes around thankfully but um crap i'm messing with my glasses i just popped out one of the pieces son of a bitch oh no (laughs) i guess i have to go blind with recording um (laughs) shit um that's not good. You gotta put it back in. I need new glasses. I've room. had these since 2014. It's time to get some new glasses. Um, oh, wow. 2015, 2015. Um, it's hard to get a doctor's appointment during this pandemic. Uh, what I enjoyed about it was not just that, but the boxing sequences seem more grounded in reality than sensational, like you see in a lot of like uh, in the way Rocky basically set that trend, doing weirdo off kilter kind of stuff. And what he does is unusual in this, but I believe all of it was actual real. I wonder if he was really a boxer. I know he was kind of a name overseas, Claus Maria Brandor, um, but he's never really been a name here. I think he only did this and White Fang in America. And he just, the stuff that they're learning, the way they move their bodies seems more authentic. And this is lighter weight boxing. This isn't heavyweight. And uh, and it kept surprising me because you keep thinking, okay, this is Adrian Pazdar is going to be lead. Oh no, Wesley Snipes is going to be lead. Oh no, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It keeps switching over and over, and I thought it was fairly unpredictable. Yeah, it does kind of it does bounce around between these uh, three main characters, and they do come from different walks of life. And but overall, like again, it just had a lot of heart. I enjoyed watching it fully, especially when those they. Uh, end up becoming professionals. Uh, Wesley Snipes, there was a little bit of a snag because Wesley Snipes, like he already gets a pro fight invitation, but um, the coach, uh, oh gosh, what's the actor's name again? Claus Maria Brandor, if I said it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, that yeah, his name, uh, Klaus. Uh, he Klaus um, Maria Brandor. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. David, but then he's just like, he's just trying. To, I'm trying to, I know, I'm trying to keep myself together. Class, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> class my precious. <laughs> I can't fix my fucking glasses. God damn it! Damn it, man! Let me finish my sentence. All right, <laughs> you keep a chapa chapa chapa. Ah. Oh wait, that was Russian. What okay. Why are we, wait, we're speaking German. Well, we're speaking I don't Russian. know what we're doing. We're, fucked up. we're crazy. crazy <laughs> You're lucky we but didn't yeah, record uh, last night, though. I was high as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we would have yeah. made this far. Like, we wouldn't have. I was so... I just tried out some new stuff, and I was like, hey, this is strong. Like, oh, man. That's when the, that's when the, effects started, that's when the drugs started to take hold. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, j- j- I mean, he has, like, kind of... You know, advising Wesley Snipes, it's like, you know, I already signed you guys up to get into this, to become part of this team uh, for the Olympics. You know, uh, something like this can come later. You know, he wanted them to develop fully, not rush into it. Otherwise, it would, you know, derail and crash and burn. Yeah. However, it worked out. They both uh, attended that little... um... It was like Olympic... Oh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, good, good little games kind of... Yeah, it's it's amateur, uh, but higher level, like exposure, so you get to see... You're seen by more agents. Because that's a big thing in the movie, is that they're offering Wesley Snipes money for real fights. The problem is it's low-level money, and his exposure will be minimal, but he has to go onto this amateur team for free. 
but then he'll get national exposure. Exactly. Uh, and in the end, yeah, uh, of course, you know, Kuchiori, he ends up uh, coming, uh, kind of colliding with his, well, not colliding, but he finds out he's going up against his old team from Russia. Yeah. People he trained with. One that, one that kind of backstabbed him. So, in a sense, you know, he realized, like, you know, his guys are up against some really tough fighters, and he's not sure if they can pull it off. But, you know, they both decide that they want to do it. They still want to go for it, especially Adrian Pazdar. He wants to get up. He wants to, you know, get bigger fights. And, of course, he listens to Yori more than Wesley Snipes did. So, in the end, Adrian uh, Pazdar actually wins. You know, kind of... And it was just also a good moment for Yori. He realizes, like, you know, I still got it. I can... You know, I just beat my old teammate. Right, because so in, uh, in the beginning, he's a, restored. Yeah, he's a drunk, he, he's lost, he's belligerent and rude to people, and then, he, you know, he has no guiding light for himself. Um, so it's important that he becomes the teacher, that he deals with the fact that he's no longer a star boxer. He had to move on anyway. He's old. Yes. It's a fantasy in Rocky Balboa that he can still box at like 60. It just ain't get re- it is not reality at all. Oh no! <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Yeah, that was. Um, of course, now Creed definitely was more grounded. Yeah, is there gonna be a Creed three? This is all, sorry, guys, we're going off. But I, I haven't heard anything about Creed three, and I thought it was supposed to be a trilogy. I don't know. I oh maybe they'll get Clover Lang involved. <laughs> no, let's not keep. Repeating. I wouldn't be surprised. Nah, let's not do that. I don't want to keep. I want him to have his own fresh, free of any Rocky history. Yeah, no, that would. Although it was good to see. Well, there was a tradition to bring back Drago, though. Yeah. Well, yes. At least there's a story. And, and I liked. Yeah, and there was development for Drago himself. He, right. And I loved Dolph Lundgren's performance. But, uh, but yes. yeah, no, uh, Streets of. Go ahead, sorry. But yeah, no, Streets of Gold, I definitely think it was a well, well uh, grounded, you know, movie, boxing movie full of heart. I would definitely watch it again. Yeah, that is another movie from a company that's defunct where all the rights are basically lost. And um, it's free on YouTube, thankfully. Someone's recorded off a, a, a DVD that was released about 20 years ago where they decide Wesley Snipes is now the star. And I'll say this, Wesley Snipes, man, he knew exactly what he was fucking doing all the way back then. He was a good actor even when he was young. He, there was no like real grace period where he had to like, oh, well, he's not that good here, but he gets better So yeah, it's weird. I, I mean, am sorry. I clearly have like, uh, I have my uh, Wi-Fi uh, working on like my PlayStation or something. There's no connect disconnection there. I can barely hear you, Jacob. Sorry, everybody. Uh, this is awkward. Uh, let's finish my the bad. game, Billy. Okay, my bad. What about meow? Meow? No. Right, one more time. Okay, how about Meow? Yes, perfect. Meow is fine. All right, what is our next film? Wunderbar. Okay, uh, next film, uh, I believe this is our last film, and I had to save it for last. I absolutely fucking love this movie. It, it, it's it got Danny DeVito in it and Joe Piscopo, who was one of the saviors of Saturday Night Live in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> wise guys, I had no idea this was by Brian De Palma. I couldn't tell. Yes. I did not know he did comedy. It's, this is the only comedy I think he's ever done. I think he did a light one in 1980 with uh, Kirk Douglas I called Home Movies or something like that. Um, 
But this has been badmouthed so horrendous. I know friends who couldn't even finish this. This was a huge flop. It destroyed Joe Piscopo's <laughs> career. Yes, massive flop. Everybody I know hates this movie. I think it's fucking hilarious. Uh, I think it's so no. damn funny. About two inept dipshits. They're hangers on to the real mob. They're like like they're like uh, what are those little fish that hang on to uh, sharks and whales or whatever. You know the ones that just oh like. Oh, they, not guppies. But. Yeah, yeah, they hang on to whatever, and they they get whatever the shark doesn't eat. Um, but it's it, that's who they are. They're the lowest of the low, and they're always bullshitting. Scroungers. Yeah, they're the scrab, scrappers, scroungers. Yeah, scroungers. Scroungers. Okay. Scavengers. Scavengers. Yeah. Um, but that's what they are, and they're always like pretending they're bigger than they are. Do you remember the episode of It's Sunny in Philadelphia where Mac decides he wants to join the mob instead of getting whacked and they make him do all these bullshit jobs? No. Oh, my God. Um, it's, it's, it's a long episode, but uh, it's a two-parter where it goes, the gang gets whacked because they accidentally steal a bunch of meth they find in a speaker that was dumped on the road. And then uh, Mac decides instead of getting killed that he wants to join the mob. And so they make him do all the worst fucking jobs. It's exactly what they get Joe Piscopo and Danny DeVito to do. They go start cars that might blow up. They can do the dumbest tasks ever, and they fuck up everything. They go on the run. Okay. And I cannot believe. Oh, yes. Did you see who the big bad guy is in this? The one that's mean as shit is always after him, really heavy set. I had no idea who this fucking guy was until I saw the credits. Lou Ferrigno, I know. No, I'm no, like, no, he no. sounds so familiar. Lou and Albano, he... Captain Lou Albano. Lou. Oh, Lou Albano. What? Oh, gosh, sorry. Yeah. Lou. They're both named Lou. They're both Italian, and their name, their last names end with O. But yeah, mean Lou Albano, the wrestler. Oh, my God. Or <laughs> some people know as Mario. <laughs> Oh, that, oh, he was. Yeah, he was alive in the live action segments for the right? cartoon. Yeah. He, oh, uh, man, I remember. He's so damn funny in this. Everybody is hilarious <laughs> in this. It's so convoluted in the stuff they set up against each other. It's so much fun. And I can't believe this movie tanked. I can't I believe know, I hate this movie. <laughs> it's seriously, again, oh, man, just had me laughing from start to finish. I mean, again, they get into trouble with the mob boss because they bet on the wrong horse. Because, you know, as Danny DeVito mentioned, there was a good reason, you know, to put it on this horse instead. He always bets on a losing horse and loses money. But this time, there was a small chance in hell that happened, and the horse they were supposed to bet on wins. Yeah, and it just so fucks them up. And they got to go on the run. And they, and they, when they steal a bunch of money or they get a credit card, I can't remember, they start pretending to be someone else in this big casino in Atlantic City. Yeah, but they're so Bano's st- character. But they're so fucking stupid that they don't understand that all the people they know there also know the people back where they are, you know, in New York, whatever. And it just, it's, oh, the dimmest bulbs. Yeah. They're so much fun because they love each other. They are such good friends. Absolutely. Especially like that whole birthday surprise. Nobody's wishing Joe Piscopo a happy birthday and then lo and behold, bam! Surprise party! Uh, well, I was thinking more the fact that they, they, that they pay them to kill each other. <laughs> oh yeah, they try to kill each other but they just can't do it, especially when Joe Piscopo's about to kick uh, Danny DeVito in front of a car, but he's just like hella stalling there and having his leg lifted up the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this one's no, a also, blast. Absolutely, yeah. Oh no, but yeah, the reason they were trying to go to Atlantic City uh, was... So Danny Vio could talk to his uncle, so you know they could pay off the uh, you know pay the mobsters, pay the mob boss back for the loss and to save each other's lives because they you know Danny Vio can't uh, 
he can't kill his friend. He doesn't want to. Or nor does Ugh. he want to die. <laughs> that too, yeah. So he's just trying to see another way out. And then, of course, you know, along the way, they meet Harvey Keitel, who was a friend of theirs, but now he's like his, his own, he has his own thing going on. And it was just such a sweet and beautiful ending. I couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was <laughs> really nice. Yeah. I mean, Danny DeVito, like, fakes his death. He doesn't, but of course, he psychs out Joe Piscopo. And Joe Piscopo, you know, feels so guilty and just lifeless without him. But right before Joe Piscopo tries to hang himself, all of a sudden, like, he thinks he's seeing a vision of Danny DeVito. He's like, <laughs> just the way Danny DeVito performs that scene just makes me laugh my ass off. Especially because Joe Piscopo almost accidentally uh, actually kills himself and Danny DeVito saves him. That was just a foolproof plan. And it worked out better because the mob bosses <laughs> ended up going to that house about to kill him. But lo and behold, you know, the house blows up as part of Danny DeVito's plan to get the mob off their back. And for... <laughs> uh, it, it is definitely a classic and it deserves a lot more love. I think uh, Warner Archive... Uh, is having this kind of uh, sale going on, and I think it's available on DVD. Yeah, it, it the sale sadly just ended. Warner Archive is doing a four for forty four. This is their last time they're doing that. I don't know if that means they're shutting oh. their website down. I noticed that some of the titles they had for sale are now going going to be coming out from Shout Factory. So I'm wondering if Warner is shutting down their manufacturer on demand uh, service and then just sending them out to other companies. Warner and Comcast, that whole merger, fucked everybody. DC Comics got cut in half, you know, and then the whole pandemic killed everything. I wouldn't be surprised if Warner says it's more cost efficient for us just to send the rights to other companies that we're, you know, will do, you know, like the way Mill Creek or Shout Factory does. Right. Also, I mean, now that Warner has HBO Max, they definitely have that. Um, yeah, they have like a huge catalog going on with that. Not only with their original shows, but like, again, some of their classics. That's how I watched uh, uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I noticed they have some Disney stuff on there, too. All right, so we're at the end of this episode. It's ready for 1987. I already got some on my list, buddy. Uh, Critical Condition with Richard Pryor, which is a huge flop. Everybody hated it. I think it's fucking amazing, even though the tone is a little wonky. Um, we have Heat hmm. with Burt Reynolds, and uh, that oh. is another another huge flop. They got fucked up by so many. They had, I think, literally eight directors, but I still think it's a great fucking movie. Oh, God. We have Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, uh, Blind Date with <laughs> Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger, The Secret of My Success with Michael J. Fox, and a really obscure one that I love called Wild Thing, which is a Canadian superhero movie, sort of. Kind of like Tarzan, but with gadgets and stuff. Hmm. So that is it. We also have, uh, coming up in 87, we also have Beverly Hills Cop 2, The Untouchables, uh, Roxanne, Inner Space. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Summer School. There's a lot of good stuff in 87. Yeah, I definitely remember Revenge of the Nerds 2 and Summer School. Yeah. Oh, we got Overboard and Throw Mama from the Train. And then, uh, you know, oh, I, yes. I honestly thought Good Morning Vietnam was from 87. It came out in 88, which throws me off so much. So that would be coming in 88. Sweet. And that's the year I was born. There were so many good movies in 88. You're such a wonderful baby. I was born in 77. We only had like three good movies. <laughs> 77 sucked. <laughs> you had Star Wars. That's it. I guess that makes up for the shittiness of all the rest. <laughs> Smoking the exactly. Bandit. That's like the second biggest movie of 77. <laughs> it's okay. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure if I even actually watched it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, 
I have issues with Burt Reynolds lately. That we're going to discuss it while we just dis- watch Heat because I got issues with Burt Reynolds big time. Oh my! Uh, all right, everybody, that is it. Check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. And Jacob, send us out. All right, everybody, Namaste and good luck, my friends. Be safe out there. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Hey everybody, welcome to Video Night. I'm Michael, your co-host, and my friend Jacob, sidekick, co-host, cohort. What do you want to call yourself? Just make up whatever you want. How about... Sir Jacob of... Your... My... Yes, yeah. All right. Ah, oh, damn it. I'm usually clever. How about your best friend who can be a total fuckface sometimes? That is my favorite kind of friend. So like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's reliable and he's cool and everything. Guess what? He's also a fuckface. The secret ninja yeah. race of fuckfaces. Yeah, I'm fuckface McGee. <laughs> I'm your fuckface McGee, even though... <laughs> I'll be guiding you on this tour. What does it have to do with anything? I don't know. I just like saying the word fuckface. Um, already we've alienated 90% of our audience. Uh, let's, uh, let's try this again. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Video Night. This is Michael. That's Jacob. We're going to be discussing comedies of 1986. We have a big list. We also have other things that are big. I mean... Uh, so, we're not sure we're going to be able to get through the whole list. Let's see if we can try your patience. But we're going to start off first with Back to School. Oh my gosh, I know. This is like one of my favorite Rodney Dangerfield movies. Guess who's getting some class? I'm going to college. Rodney Dangerfield's going back to school. Yeah, I know. I mean, oh god, I thought it was just that funny. I wish I had seen it in theaters. I mean, and plus, I wish I was born at the time to see it in theaters. But no, <laughs> that's right, I forgot. <laughs>
I was I wasn't even I was this was two years before I was even conceived. My brother Eddie might have been born, but that's it. There was uh, this. Uh, I know that I, I did the same exact thing two years earlier when they were showing uh, Indiana Jones and the no no Temple of Doom. It was Temple of Doom and Dreamscape. They were showing a double feature at the drive-in. I was supposed to go to that too. I'm actually kind of glad I slept through that one because I was only seven, and those are pretty scary movies for children. Wait, which one? Uh, it was uh, Temple of Doom and Dreamscape. Do you oh yeah, no yeah. Temple of Doom. Oh God, Temple of Doom. Freaking that dinner oh, scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, God, that movie was so fucking racist at the same time. Really? <laughs> Jesus. I guess I didn't notice. I, I don't know. It's just it... forever. I don't know. The whole subtext of, uh, you know, like your royal, Indi- you know, people in uh, Indian countries, like all the royal people eat freaking snakes and oh, beetles right, 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 and all right, that yeah. shit, Oops. really subjugating them. That was fucked up. All right, so back to school. Massive hit. I mean, kind of came years after Caddyshack. Uh, he had a movie in the middle called Easy Money that did okay. I've seen Easy Money. It is sh- it is one of the worst things that he's ever done. He made a lot of terrible movies towards the end. But Back to School is just what brought him right back. And yet again, he disappeared for like six years after this. What is up with that? Uh, there was Rover Dangerfield. That I thought, you know, I grew up watching that too. I loved that. Yeah, he did. He I always did thought Rodney Dangerfield and, was funny. Yeah, this and Ladybugs he did six years after uh, back to school. He was supposed to be in Caddyshack 2, but he bailed after he read the script. He's like, there's no way in hell I'm doing this. <laughs> you can't blame him. If you look at his two best movies, a good move. which you both mentioned, Caddyshack and Back to School, both had heavy influence from Harold Ramis. Rest in peace, Harold. You pretty much made his career when it came to film. Oh, God, yes. I mean, seriously, especially Caddyshack being his first big film, yeah. that's when he just really blew up. And... Uh, Oh, God. Even on the set, people tried their best not to laugh. They were hella quiet, because if they laughed, they'd ruin the take. Especially when, you know, Ron Dangerville, he's prepped, he's ready to go, he's saying his lines. I think these people, I think this place is, uh, <clears throat> I think this place has restrictions, Wayne, so don't tell him you're Jewish. Okay, fine. Huh. I mean, oh, God, you hey, had to get that in one take. Duck. Oh. <laughs> hey, a lot of women, you know that? You like to make fourteen dollars the hard way. <laughs> Last time I saw a mouth like that, I had a hook in it. <laughs> I know. I, I, it, it seriously, it was. Um, uh, it was pretty much. It almost seemed like it was just one take with this guy, because he was just, you know, he was primed, he was ready to go, he was yeah, very quick, so just you know, all, all these big one-liners. He was a one-liner king. <laughs> My favorite is, uh, you know, he's doing the tall and fat commercial. He's just like, just flat out saying, you're tall, you're fat, get used to it, keep eating, buy my clothes. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God, what was one of my favorites? What was my favorite? He's like, <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments is when he gives that kid a pencil. He's like, hey, you're, you're the guy from the, you know, big and tall uh, commercials. Oh, God, you're, you're, you're funny. He's like, hey, you know what you are? Short and ugly. Give me back that pen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, how can we forget that this is one of Robert Downey Jr.'s first movies? I think before this, he had done Weird Science and uh, um, Firstborn. And uh, Back to School was like the, that movie that everybody started to notice him. So this is when he started doing like uh, leading roles soon after this. I just, the, the, I can't yeah. he's still around, just such a powerful actor. Just And, and this movie really solidified his possible stardom. And, you know, especially when it came to comedy, like timing, jokes, and everything, his little quips and wit, and that freaking large gap in his teeth. My gosh. <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. That was, that was like my, 
that was my that was like my dad's gap uh, when he was younger, like around that age. <laughs> Damn. But yeah, no. Also, when it came to the soundtrack, it was actually uh, by Danny Elfman, yes. who actually appeared in the movie with Oingo Boingo playing Dead, playing Man's, Dead Man's Party, Party at the party. Oh par- my god, that, that is probably my favorite uh, song. I mean, I, I will. I, you ever notice how long Weird Science actually is? Uh, the original single for Weird Science, I think, is eighty-three hours long, and uh, that's that's uh, it's a twelve thousand minutes of just uh, uh, bits and pieces, bits and pieces, weird bits and pieces, weird. You know, <laughs> it's almost the same bit. <laughs> it's not the radio cut. Oh my God, <laughs> that, that long of a song, Jesus! I was expecting like six minutes, but that minute. <laughs> Yeah, when they, issued, when they issued the single out, it was 12 pounds of vinyl. People were getting backaches from trying to listen to the song. It was like, oh, flip the side. Oh, flip it again. Oh, put a new record. Flip it. <laughs> Jesus. That's absolutely insane. That's just madness right there. It, 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 I think it's only like seven minutes long, but it, it seems like it goes on forever. But uh, I, would listen, <laughs> I would listen to Oingo Boingo at any chance. They did a lot of movie stuff that people don't remember. I didn't realize until recently when I got their Greatest Hits collection, there was a track on there that was never actually on an album, but it was part of Beverly Hills Cop, the soundtrack. And I'm like, holy shit, that's Oingo Boingo? I used to listen to that song all the time. This is right as Danny Elfman was taking off, too, as a composer, because he had already done uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and then he did Back to School, and then he just started doing tons of stuff, you know, uh, Midnight Run, uh, Wisdom, and then he started latching on to Tim Burton's movies, you know, more. And, of course, he did Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, you know, and there on out. Oh, wow. God, where would, where would we it, you be? Know, where would we be uh, with the, without his music? Uh, for a lot of us of that age group, he was like the king of great soundtracks if he had not somehow been chosen to do Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, my God. Would he have been selected to do Batman? Oh, I don't oh. think so. I don't think that would have happened. At best, he would have done some probably I'm like glad. minor independent movies, and that was it. You know, I'm glad he did that. He did that. He also did sp- the first three Spider-Man films. He did The Incredible Hulk by Ang Lee. He also did uh, he did Terminator Salvation. Pretty much every Tim Burton movie he's done, except for uh, fucking Sweeney Todd. Well, That's the only one he, he didn't do. do. That was a uh, he didn't do Ed Wood because he was out on tour doing the final Oingo Boingo yeah. tour. You know why he doesn't tour anymore? Why Oingo Boingo will never reunite? Is because he can't hear. Danny Elfman? He said in an interview a couple years ago that he said there will never be another live performance of Oingo Boingo because so many years of not wearing proper ear protection damaged his hearing. So he's having a lot of trouble right now. Shit. Yeah, it sucks. That's intense. But at least he'll still do... Yeah, at least he'll still be able to do... uh, He can still do films. He's still been doing films. Yeah, well, that you can hear. Right? I think it's the assault of sound on your eardrums that was destroying him, and he feels like it'll do even more permanent damage if he continues to do live performances. I mean, I can barely even go to concerts anymore. I know this makes me sound old, mm. but I have sense of hearing anyway, so I find myself going to concerts now with just like a little thin, like, it sounds ridiculous, but I put like a little bit of toilet paper in my ear to protect myself from the blast. Oh, God. <laughs> Damn. No, that's pretty nuts. Okay, so anyway, back to the movie. You know that scene with Sam Kinison just like, you know, pretty much like flipping out, throw, <laughs> picking up the desk and throwing it across the room while yelling at Ronnie Dangerfield? 
That comb over is insane. That, <laughs> that is amazing comb over. Epic comb over. Yeah, no, I think I think Trump copied him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't insult Kinnison that way. He may have been a no. head, violent, a huge comb over, slept with porn stars, died young. Uh, still a better man than Trump. Oh fuck yes! And he was actually on the right, and he was like, you know, getting back on track. And then boom, that car accident. Yeah. But that scene. Hard, Rodney Dangerfield had a hard time, you know, keeping a straight face during that whole sequence. Like eventually, uh, eventually, uh, the director ended up leaving that. Um, he had to leave that that far cut, that that far away cut scene. Uh, he ended up keeping it in. He ended up keeping it in, and you could tell that Rodney Dangerfield was laughing right there. Huh. <laughs> Sam Kennison just. This also he was just has... thinking about it, yelling. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> This like just thinking about it, him yelling at Ronnie Dangerfield oh, is just hilarious. <laughs> I don't know if there's a delay or we're just talking over each other. Uh, but during the interview, I know we're talking over each other. I'm just I'm trying to finish what I'm saying, but oh, I can't sorry. do it without laughing. <laughs> uh, the king of bad guys in the '80s was William Zabka. You got Karate Kid. You got just one of the guys. And uh, back to school are like the pinnacle of like that '80s douchebag that you would see repeated in other movies like. Uh, um, what's the one I'm thinking of? Uh, oh, shit, it's um, he Re- Revenge of the Nerds. Which one? William Zabka and uh, shit, he was on Married Children. I can't remember his name. Ed O'Neill. No, he, the the next door neighbor, Darcy, Marcy Darcy's husband. Uh, you know, he was on Happy Days and Love Boat. Gable. Uh, Stan Gable, but who the fuck played him? Why can't I remember? <laughs> yeah, no. So basically. Those guys were like the kings of 80s villains. And William Zabka did it three times. Who else did that? Oh, Nobody. It's Ted, it's Ted McGinley. I'll sing it Ted McGinley. It always seemed like the other movies you'd watch throughout the 80s, you could see that were carbon copies. Like uh, a Better Off Dead. Tell me the bad guy in Better Off Dead isn't a copy of Ted McGinley from Revenge of the Nerds. Totally. I thought it was his little brother, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they look a lot alike. Yeah, but if they're more violent, if they weren't funny or charming in any way, if they were just like vicious you automatically go to william zabka style villain yeah i know total douchebag in freaking oh, excuse me total douche total typical you know should frat I, boy I douche should i call you ogre right now <laughs> nerds <laughs> hey raj it's ogre you asshole <laughs> Um, oh man! So yeah, he's the villain in this one. This one uh, has this weird, like, almost feels forced. The whole sports aspect of the movie—that's just kind of the way the movies in the '80s were. There's always some sort of competition that every, you know, if it was a camp movie, all oh, they always had that's a end of summer competition. If it was a high school movie, it's either like a race of some of uh, some kind, uh, or in this one, it's the uh, the diving competition. And Rodney Dangerfield apparently was a great diver. I think everybody knows that it's ridiculous that he was supposed to be a diver. Because when he does the triple Lundy, is that what it's called? The triple Lutz or triple Lundy? Uh, yeah. It's clear blue screen. And he's just goofing around. He's trying to do all these weird little flips. And you're like, oh, that's insane. Yeah. And Rodney Dangerfield, the funny thing is, was an actual diver. He was? In real life? Yeah. He actually did. No shit. Yeah, he was. Like, huh. Yeah, in his younger years. I guess someone knew that and they decided to write it into the script. I just, that's weird. I didn't think that was even a thing. Yeah, no, he was one of those trick divers, yes, like for 
uh, school and stuff like that. Yeah, he actually did that. He was a trick diver. All right, and the last thing I want to mention that Keith Gordon, who plays his son, uh, excellent actor who realized in the late '80s that he wanted to be a director. Most of his movies did not do well, but they're critically loved. I think my favorite is The Chocolate War, which was a, a, a must-read when I was in middle school. I don't know if you ever read that book when you were a kid. You ever heard of that one, The Chocolate War? The Chocolate War. Huh, I don't know. I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory overshadowed that one. Yeah, maybe. The Chocolate I'll have to, I'll War look it up. is about, um, I believe it's a Catholic school, if I remember, or it's a prep school, and basically the head of the school who is, uh, you know, he played the dad on... Lionel Luther. He played Lionel Luther. Uh, I hate it when I forget the name of this. Glover. Yeah, His last name is Glover. John Glover. Uh, John Glover plays the head of the school, and he's trying to meet a certain sales goal with selling these chocolate bars. And this new kid comes into the school. It's Ian Michael Smith, the nerdy one in Weird Science, you know, Anthony Michael Hall's best friend. Uh, of course, yes. He comes to the school, and he's getting pressured by everybody to sell this chocolate because they're all just supposed to meet the sales goals, I guess, to keep the school running. Actually, I'm not that remembering this right, but I remember he, it's, he's rebelling against it. He absolutely, unequivocally wants nothing to do with it. He will not sell the chocolate, and Adam Baldwin is part of it, and he's pressuring him. And it's, it's more about going against any sort of system, whether it's religion, political, social. It's anything that's a, a, a clique or a way of thinking. And uh, just because it's a comfort thing, like, oh, everybody just does it this way. Well, why? And then people get mad at you for questioning that. That's what The Chocolate War is about. Amazing movie. I'll have to look into it. That, and he That's did one sure. with uh, uh, Ethan Hawke called A Midnight Clear. It's a World War II movie. It's on Christmas Eve, and it's about the German side and the American side trying to actually come together at least for one day for a peaceful night instead of killing each other. And another movie that never really got released. Yeah. I do know uh, he did direct a few episodes, quite a few episodes of some big hit TV shows like Leftovers, Nurse Jackie, Homeland, and Fargo. Oh, so that's what he's doing now. He's doing TV. I was wondering because I haven't seen him do a movie in a long time. Most of his movies just didn't make money even though critics loved it. But when it comes to box office, if it's not there, then you don't get another movie made. I know. Uh, that's just how it is. Like, if it doesn't make money, it's worthless. Now, have you ever seen Christine? But the John Carpenter's Christine. Yes, he, that's the same I did. Thing. I actually absolutely. Yeah, I know. That's oh. what I was about to say. He was in Christine. Oh man, he really goes. Um, gosh, like what that kid goes through just you know to get this car together, getting revenge on the bullies. You know what? Just, when it comes you know, time for really Halloween, see when it comes time for Halloween, we need to start doing some Stephen King movies. Oh hell yes! Yeah. All I right. want to discuss that. There was also another one with uh, with Tim Matheson that I want to bring up later. Oh, sometimes they come back. That movie's awesome. I'm assuming you're talking about that. Yes. All right. Now, back to back in school. <laughs> All right. Back to school. Um, unbelievably funny. Just fast, fast, fast. I love watching him and Adrian Barbeau go at it because she is clearly like, I don't care how funny and famous you are. I'm going to take you on. She is a tough cookie, and I love that lady. Oh, no, I don't doubt that. I mean, shoot, look at her in Escape from New York. Oh, that's right, she was John Carpenter's uh, ex-wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, plus, you know, I think, you know, she's a very lovely woman. Very, I think she's very elegant, has that, you know, just classic um, 1940s Hollywood, you know, facial features. <clears throat> yeah, do you ever see Carnival? Because uh, that's kind of a retro show, and she fit in perfectly. Carnival, was that like a... Like a couple of shorts, Rashid and uh, what 
kind of a horror short with John Holbrook. Is that what it is? Oh, no. Hal Holbrook. You're thinking of Creepshow. Carnival is the show. It was on HBO. It was set during the Great Depression. And it's a it's like a supernatural kind of mystery show. But it's set in a traveling circus. And uh, there's a preacher after them who has supernatural powers who's trying to defeat Nick Stahl. I don't know if you remember him. He was in Terminator 3. Uh, they're kind of going at it with each other. And no, it's a, I do remember. Season. I think I have. I think I have might have seen an episode of that once. Yeah, Adrian Barbeau's in that, and she's really good as a snake charmer. Oh, God, there's no surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Back to School is a definite must-see. Not a single moment of this is wasted. Almost every single joke hits home. This, I think, is, uh, if you're a Dangerfield fan, is the first choice. Then Caddyshack, because Caddyshack is kind of everybody shares their chunk. This is full-on uh, showcase for Dangerfield. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I know. I was just about to mention that. And the funny thing is, that like opening montage of him golfing, that was actually a clip from Caddyshack. <laughs> it's the same company that produced it, so. Yeah, and also, Burt Young is a uh, little like kind of chauffeur, bodyguard, who can kick anyone's ass no matter how big you are, which kind of adds like a cartoon element. Even though he's like this short little stubby guy, he's bigger and he's stronger than everybody around him. Well, Especially in the bar room. And... It's a weird turn of events from his character in Rocky. Polly was a wimp who just kind of complained all the time. He just kind of went along. This time he's like playing the Rocky style character. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It was, well, it's a good change for Burt Young, that's for sure. Yeah. He definitely needed to up his game. Uh, he needed to look like a badass. So clearly we're not going to get to our whole list because we're already at 22 minutes and unless this episode is going to go four hours long, we're just going to do two and we'll just, I guess we'll just do this from here on out, just discuss two movies per episode. Um, so before we get to that, back to school, definite must. Uh, what do you think, Jacob? Oh, God, yes, it's a definite must. It's one, like, you can't help but want to watch again, like, the next day. Yeah. Like, our, it's our just so full movie, of laughs. Second movie is a, a one I think it's it's kind of died off a little bit. Uh, Better Off Dead has grown in huge cult favorite. One Crazy Summer, not as much. So let's hit him up with the trailer for One Crazy Summer and then we'll chat about it. to me that they even sold the movie based on Bobcat Goldthwait. Like, not on John Cusack or Demi Moore, who had just come off hit movies, but Bobcat Goldthwait. That tells you where we were as America, where, like, he's the funniest man alive. Oh, God, yes, I know. I cannot get enough of him. <laughs> I love his And his, I, his, I love his... Well, I, his deconstruction of comedy is, I think, what people caught on to. But, um, I would say general people that were like, who just like the scream and the weirdness? Oh, I know. It's just that really irritating, like, kind of, like, annoying little, like, little spats of energy. Almost like a, this very sporadic tone that would just change 
Like there was like no control. It was like it was as if there was no control in his voice, and he just spout out of nowhere. Well, it's just funny, some crazy it's, shit. It's when he revealed what he really sounded like. I don't think he was hiding it, but I think generally people were so used to him acting like this. That's what they always thought he was like, you know. And then he would show up in Hot to Try and and uh, what's the clown? Shakes the clown. Uh, not doing the voice, and people are like, "What is this shit? We don't want this." But he's probably like, "I'm gonna blow uh, a cord in my throat if I keep doing this voice. I'm gonna talk like a normal human being." And people kind of ditched him, but you know, in the last ten years, he's become like a seriously great director. Oh God, yes, especially with World's Greatest Dad and uh, God Bless America, and God, what was another big one that he did? Well, there's a big I didn't know. movie that he did. Uh, he did one uh, before World's Greatest Dad, but I think those are the two primary. He's also been doing his stand up, and uh, those CDs are excellent. Oh man, no doubt about that. I always thought he was so funny, especially in Scrooged. Yeah. <laughs> That one scene where he like takes the shotgun in the, the little uh, control room. He's like, "Hey, you saw it into the window. I don't think you know who you're dealing with." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this movie, I thought that was the funniest fucking line ever. <laughs> so it's not a sequel to Better Off Dead, even though there's a lot of cast members that are interche- you know, like kind of similar. Uh, and the same director, Savage Steve Holland, and you know the animated clips and everything. It's a spiritual sequel, I would say, not uh, an actual sequel. Um, but if you love Better Off Dead, there's no reason why you wouldn't like this one. It's not as good, in my opinion, but it's it's a fine piece of a fine piece of art. Of course, yes. And I, the cute fuzzy bunny story at the beginning, you know, like being the Rhino being made fun of how he's never gonna find love, and he just takes a freaking machine gun and kills all the rabbits. <laughs> That's how he's gonna deal with that. Yeah, if shit. you like if you like the animated <laughs> bits in this movie, check out Eat the Cat, which is the animated series he did after his third film, How I Got into College, uh, which is really surreal and crazy and wild. So check that. There's a bunch of them on YouTube. Actually, have you ever seen the third chapter of his little high school college trilogy? Have you seen How I Got into College? I no. Now, originally, it was planned to be the final chapter with John Cusack, but John Cusack had finally seen the cut of Better Off Dead while shooting One Crazy Summer and realized that he hated it. He hated Savage Steve Holland, and he went to him and said, you humiliated me. And he's like, what? And he's like, I hate the movie, and I I wonder how awkward it was, how damaging it was to try to finish the shoot on this movie. Oh, God, yes, I know. You couldn't tell there was any kind of awkwardness at all. Yeah, it's weird, but like, I hate you guys. You ruined my life. All right, shoot, let's go. <laughs> I know, seriously, it's like, dude, goddamn, John, I mean, shit, uh, chill, it was a very well-received movie, I loved it, Yeah, it was funny, I it was great, I loved that uh, scene in the uh, little burger joint with the guy from who played Porky from Porky's. Do you think that uh, over the years he's maybe lightened up a little bit, because he did do Hot Tub Time Machine, I mean, don't tell me that's not ridiculous. Oh, God, no, I'm pretty sure he did, he had to have, I mean, especially... He hasn't really done too much except for like Ice Harvest and Gross Point Blank and oh god, there was another one he did. There was one he did. Oh, there was Con Air too, and then there was also um, that one he did that Spike Lee uh, movie. It was just very recent. It came out last uh, year. Spike Jones being John Malkovich. No, not that. You're thinking uh, uh, Chirac or Chirac or something like that. Yes, that that's it. 
so it, it seems like he's that's the one where he's the preacher. It. He's kind of lost as an actor right now. He's doing a lot of stuff where he's clearly phoning in. He needs to get back to his roots. Uh, it worked for Val Kilmer a little bit by going back to comedy. Uh, this actually has a lot of cast members, like we're saying, from uh, Better Off Dead. Uh, Curtis Armstrong returns, who we love. We adore. Of course. This is my actual favorite performance of his. I know everybody loves him for Revenge of the Nerds and Better Off Dead, but I think this I, there's something so sympathetic about him trying to win his father's <laughs> approval and love. And no matter what he does, it just doesn't seem to work. And I've been there. I totally understand that. Oh, God, yes. I know there was a, yeah there was definitely something about his character that wasn't as ridiculous or out, uh, outrageous like Booger or from better from better off dead, You're but it was so a little more solemn and a little more quiet. Do you have any idea what the street value of this mountain is? <laughs> <laughs> Nasal spray and then of course you got some. <laughs> right, and then of course you've got you know Joel Murray. Yes, he's one of the Murray brothers. I mean, sound, kind of sounds like a Murray. Kind of looks like a Murray. Who was in one of and our then, uh, movies, uh, The God Bless America, excellent in that movie. Oh, God, yes, of course. Yeah, he was pretty much the star of that movie. <laughs> I, I love how everybody, like, he's this really nice guy, he's really cool, but everybody just, like, kind of fucks him over. <laughs> it's a shooting It's really fucked up. <laughs> I know. And then, of course, you got Bobcat Goldthwait as Eggett Stork and Tom Villard as Clay Stork. Okay, yeah. now, let's talk about the name. <laughs> it's weird. Those names. This movie's littered with weirdo names. I know. Hoops McCann, even though, it, as, as, you, uh, as it was explained in the trailer, he can't shoot for shit. He can never make a shot. No, that's, it's another one of those movies that ends with a competition, some sort of sport, where they have to... Uh, they're sailing, but at the same time, they somehow incorporate basketball. Uh, we also have William Hickey. Who doesn't love William Hickey? He wasn't around very long, but, you know, he destroys in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, he has a nice little cameo in Mouse Hunt. Uh, what else is he in? Uh, Tales from the Dark Side. You know, he's one of those guys that always showed up and was just hilarious. Oh, God, yeah, Tales from the Dark Side. I, I really like that one. And then we got Mark Metcalf, who played uh, Beckerstead, the father of the villain. Worst hairdo ever. I've never seen a hairdo more insanely strange than his. I don't know what is going on. It's like shaved in some parts and combed over in others and then just kind of greasy, and then he has a mullet. It's it's bonkers. Oh, God, no. Then there was Uncle Frank. No, I think, I wasn't that Uncle Frank? Was he the one that's in the, the one who was like, smoking wait, but... cigar all the time and he's trying to listen to the radio station? I'm going to win this. I'm going to win this one. So he can be the, yeah, that guy. That's Uncle Frank. Yeah, um, Aguila Beckerstead is the, you know, played by Mark Metcalf. He's the, he's the villain's dad, who's nice. actually a bigger villain. Uh, of course, everybody knows him from Animal House and, uh, oh, the Twisted Sister videos. What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock! Rock! <laughs> and then we got Joe Flaherty as um, uh, Curtis Armstrong's dad. Okay, seriously, back to the names. General? Whose first name is General? Or maybe that's the way his old post. Uh, Mark Metcalf's name is Aguila? Aqu- whose name is Aquila? Uh, there's Cookie. There's Clay Aguila. Stork. There's uh, Akak. That's not a name. George Calamari. Uh, hoops. Akak. I did already say Akak, but I just want to say it again. I just like saying Akak, like I'm in uh, Martyrs Attacks. And then, like the little, and then of course, um, Joel Murray's little sister. Uh, well, she plays a little sister. Her name's Squid Calamari. <laughs> and then the dog's name's Bosco. <laughs> We were talking about how the crossing guard, the crossing guard's the mom on Better Off Dead. Ricky. 
That's right. She was Ricky. Yeah, that's right. She was the one who um, told those little girls, it's like, you make that face and if someone slaps you in the back, you stay that way forever. And they do. Like, the entire movie, they like those little pig-faced people from Twilight Zone. It's fucking scary. Yeah, and later you see, you see oh, Dan then... Schneider, who played Ricky, later on the boat. And the little girls go by him. He starts screaming like crazy and runs off. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, that's right. So like they're trying to get away from civilization, so they say they got on the boat, and they end up scaring everybody. Oh, man. And yeah. then, of course, we had, um, then we had Billy Bird uh, play the grandma. Who That's where they stay for the summer. Citizens on Patrol, Police Academy Four. And she was also in Pretty in Pink. She was um one of the she was one of uh Molly Ringwald's grandma, yeah. grandmas, the ones that were visiting. Now there are a few cast <laughs> and then, of course, who have gone. I'm sure Billy Bird is gone by now, but we also lost Taylor Negron a year and a half ago. Uh, excellent actor. Most people know him either from Fast Times at Richmond High as the pizza delivery guy or as the villain in Last Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout. Which one was that about? That's the one with Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. You know, he's a football player, the cop, and they're trying to stop. You don't remember this one? I'll have to look into yeah, it. Yeah, Last Boy Scout. It's like a rite of passage to see that movie. Uh, also, if you remember, he's also in Better Off Dead as the mailman who delivers. He goes, what's a little boy doing with this kind of big boy uh, smut? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he's talking to Lane about <laughs> seeing if he could date his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Because they just broke up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 oh, dude. oh no Tom oh Cookie Tom Villard passed away who uh, was excellent character actor very funny uh, passed away 91 of HIV uh, most people know him from this but he's also a bad guy in uh, Popcorn excellent movie if you love slasher movies also an homage to the old 50s and 60s movies very hard to find I think it's up on YouTube check it out yeah, he was also in Greece too. He, he did have his like funny, nerdy, dorky moments in that, but it sucked horribly. Are you covering your mic? Your muscles. <laughs> oh yeah, no, sorry about that. Yeah, no. Um, he was also in Greece too, but that movie <laughs> You're just super loud sucked. Shit. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no. Also, oh god, who else had an appearance in this movie? John Matuzak, yes, uh, the former uh, defensive end for the Raiders. Chug. Yeah. It, and he was in Goonies. He yes. played Sloth. I love Chunk. Uh, I love you, Chunk. That's much better. You're but, much yeah. better than I am at that. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, he, not, he's not passed, obviously, but uh, this is the first appearance, I think, of Jeremy Piven. Oh, yeah. It's definitely one of his... Uh, I think it was... Before, yeah, before... Um, way before Entourage, of course. Oh, yeah. Before and uh, also... Larry Sanders. It's, it's definitely the culmination of his friendship with John Cusack, who he did like five or six movies with. I don't really see them to hanging out with each other anymore. I don't see them in movies together, so maybe they just went off in different directions. It does feel like John Cusack doesn't care about what he's making anymore, and I think that's part of his problem. Yeah, you know, you're kind of right. I mean, yeah, there was also... I mean, you'd think he would go back to his roots with comedy with, uh, you know, Hot Tub Time Machine. But he didn't even come back for the sequel, even though he stayed on as producer. No, clearly, it's what, his slate was too full. I mean, he has like 12 movies a year that are garbage. He could at least come back for that sequel. Now, it was a great sequel. It was still entertaining, but you know what I mean. Like, if you're going to do garbage, you might as well do something that people actually might see. Right. I think he's doing car commercials, too. Oh, that's not good. I don't know. I definitely hear his, I definitely hear his voice in a car commercial. I can't remember. It's either a Nissan or uh, it's definitely not BMW. That sounds like Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah, 
this this movie uh, is still highly recommended. I don't think it's available in widescreen, which is a shame. Warner Brothers does this to their movies. It pisses me off. Uh, you know, they shoot in a certain way. You want to see it preserved in its original vision, not cropped and chopped and panned and scanned, uh, which is what the DVD of this is. It has an excellent commentary track, though, provided by uh, Bobcat, Curtis Armstrong, and I think Joel Murray are the ones who do the, the commentary. I, and I can't remember if Steve is in that one or not. Savage Steve Holland. I don't know. I'm I'm at a I'm at a loss. I can't tell. I can't remember if it is him. Oi. <laughs> There's no uh. real reason to go into the plot of this. It's just wild antics on the island. You know, there's a competition. You got the the bad guy after the good guy. There's wild crazy stuff. My favorite scene though is when the Boy Scouts are like uh, chasing after the girl, trying to wrap her up, like they to get their first day certification. They're so desperate to get their badges. It's it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I know. They pretty much turned John Cusack into a freaking mummy. And then went after Cookie. <laughs> Another funny name. Her name's Cookie. Yeah, it's <laughs> This is definitely like something out of a cartoon. Yeah, and, and of course Warren, she like sold out. In this as a rock star. And I forgot that uh, she even did. I think she did a movie before this where she did music called No Small Affair. Uh, how she never put out an album is a surprise to me. Yeah, I know. It was actually a pretty good song that she sang. I mean, she, you can tell she, she can hit that... Uh, vocal range yeah and then um oh gosh when they were out on the beach there's that one scene where freaking george <laughs> like gets always gets stuck underneath that certain chair and then there's that one overweight oh, guy just like, like the chili beans. who kills him with his <laughs> who kills him with his methane pretty much <laughs> <laughs> and then the, that shows the, the the paramedics arguing over what to do and then they fight each other <laughs> oh my gosh I, uh, what else can you expect from Savage Steve Holland? Yeah. Uh, Lots of cartoonish from, style I mean, tags. especially with this kind of movie. Oh, I know. <laughs> Even with all the animation that's going on through uh, throughout the movie, especially going back to the key, it always comes back, like, before going, it's kind of like, you know, a new chapter. You know, like an old movie where it said chapter one, it would show something like that. Whenever it comes to the animation, it would always, it always started off a new chapter in the story to me. And always going back to the cute fuzzy bunnies and, you know, meeting Teddy, especially, especially when he's, uh, talk, especially when he's touching his car, like that, I thought was just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, what kind of guy does that? Takes a guy and then just bounces him around. You touched my car. <laughs> what? You touched my car. Okay, God, the what a spoiled scene. little brat. What kind of madness is that where he's like shooting the things at him and he has to hold him and rotate at the same time and not make sure that he doesn't get a crossbow in the head? Oh, God, I know. What the hell is that shit? Like, God, you're trying to kill your own son or trying to teach your son some, like, you know, not to have any fear? Yeah. And then the funny thing about Teddy, like, <laughs> he's like, fine, Dad, I'll do it. I'll do it after I'm doing my laps. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that little tiny underwear. Um, it's a little tiny bathing suit. Oh, uh, of course, I think the scene that everybody remembers yeah, is the fact that, you know, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is in that Godzilla suit and someone throws a cigar, it gets in his mouth, it starts, you know, smoke starts filling the costume, starts rampaging, and ends up walking through like a little tiny city. It, it, that is my favorite scene. Oh, God, yeah, I know. That was definitely one of my favorites. And then the guy, uh, no, the banker, uh, he's pretty much just says <laughs> at the end of it, he just goes, cool party. And then friggin' Aguila just <laughs> Aguila Beckerstead just starts choking him. 
Oh god, yeah, no. This is a uh, definite recommendation. If you can find it, uh, it's a little hard to find. Hopefully someday they'll put it out on uh, Blu-ray widescreen with some extra features. Until now, I mean, until then or whatever, just enjoy the DVD. Um, I, is there anything else you want to say about the movie before we go? Oh god, I cannot get enough of it as a kid. It was, um, it's definitely, it definitely stays with you, HBO especially right. the ending. Oh my God, yes! Especially during the summer, like whenever it had um, right at the end, when um, <laughs> oh God, Uncle um, oh shit, what was his name again? Oh yeah, Uncle Frank. Whenever, when Uncle Frank went, and then all of a sudden uh, the phone unplugged, he was too excited and spun around, and then he shoots a rocket launcher at the freaking radio tower. <laughs> I mean, what kind of? And then the store twins get out. It's like just the marshmallows. What a perfect. <laughs> That's a perfect. That's a perfect ending for a Savage Steve Holland movie. Oh, totally, honestly, totally. I, it's it's it is a must see. It's an instant classic. All right, so check us out on Facebook under Video Night and uh, Jacob. Send us out. All right, everybody, have a good night. Namaste and good luck. Be excellent to each other. Yeah, we'll be back with more episodes. We do a double feature of 1986 movies. Until then, let's get a proper trailer for One Crazy Summer, where Bobcat Goldthwait isn't screaming at us. Oh, here we go. It's going to be one crazy summer for John Cusack, one slightly off basketball player, for Demi Moore, one slightly soaked hitchhiker, for Bobcat Goldthwaite, one slightly strange babysitter, and for all their slightly insane.